back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping, keeping it sports, sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Good afternoon, everyone. How's it going out there? I hope you're all having a great day. This is, of course, Keeping It Sports with M3. Powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Hope everything's going well for you here on uh, this Monday, the or Tuesday, should I say? We've got my days mixed up because you know, yesterday felt like a Sunday, with it being a uh, a holiday and everything. So uh, a little uh, off on my days here. <laughs> Try to be better with uh, that, but it is. Tuesday, the 5th of July, coming to you here from the Connecticut School of Broadcasting in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. This is, of course, Keeping It Sports with M3. Hope you all had a great weekend. Hope you all, whatever you were doing, partying, shooting off fireworks, hopefully no one blew off their hands, had a, you know, JPP situation on our hands here. And it was a very relaxing weekend for you all. You know, in a way, I'm kind of glad that this podcast is taking place on Tuesday this week rather than a Monday because it's given me an extra day to collect my thoughts. It's given me an extra day to calm down because, quite frankly, if I would have done this show yesterday, I would have probably been more aggravated than I am right now. And of course, you can see why I'm aggravated. If you're watching this on Facebook, hell, even if you're not, and you're just listening to the podcast version, I'll tell you, because I'm wearing my Brooklyn Nets hat right now. I'm wearing my Brooklyn Nets t-shirt. My Brooklyn Nets t-shirt that says Kevin Durant's name on the back of it to show those who are watching on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram because I'm annoyed. I'm pissed off. I'm bothered. Hell, nothing has even happened here yet. And I'm just completely fed up with Kevin Durant, who last week on Thursday hit every net fan with our worst nightmare and that was him requesting a trade away from the Brooklyn Nets all because of the fact that he is showing continuing to show blind loyalty toward Kyrie Irving who he's been following around like a puppy dog for the last three years and I've never understood why is Kevin Durant following every move of Kyrie Irving and not the other way around. Because Kevin Durant, when it's all said and done, is all like in all likelihood going to be ranked and rated by most 
as a, at the very minimum, a top 15 player to ever play this game. He's going to be in the top five scorers in the history of this sport. Probably won't catch LeBron or even Kareem, who's going to fall to number two at some point this year. But he's going to be in the top five. Yet he's following a guy around who is going to be a Hall of Famer in his own right. But there's no guarantee on a week-in, week-out basis of whether Kyrie Irving is actually going to play. Whether he's going to actually show up and do his job. I mean, it must, must be such a wonderful life that you can just tell your employer based on whatever belief you have on that given day. Eh, I'm not going to show up. This is, is a hindrance to me. And Kevin Durant remains loyal to that. Kevin Durant, he had it so easy when he was in Golden State. Didn't have to, until the very end when things exploded with him and Draymond, didn't have to really deal with any drama. Even though he was the best player on the team, it was Steph Curry's team and he could just go about his business. You know, a, an old friend of mine posted a meme on Facebook last week that kind of described this situation perfectly. She posted a, a meme, I guess it's what it's called. A, it, you know, it's a picture with a quote and it showed a lion's head and the quote with it said, how we walk with the broken speaks louder than how we sit with the great. And quite frankly, that describes Kevin Durant to a tape because he would rather things be easy. He would rather things take the easy road out than to go through a challenge, go through tough, difficult times. And early in his career, you thought that that was going to be the, the opposite. Remember, he came out harsh on Twitter ripping LeBron James and that Miami Heat team, the Heatles, as we call them, when they pulled that group together. He ripped the New York Knicks and how they handled putting things together with Amari Stoudemire and Carmelo Anthony, saying, oh, oh, everybody's just trying to join up whatever, whatever happened to competition, saying that at the exact same time as he was announcing a contract extension with Oklahoma City, and that made Durant, quite frankly, the most popular player in the league at that point. And then six years ago, he made a decision that we all despised, we all hated. I, on the surface, I understood it, but I couldn't stand it as far as a competition level is concerned. When he left Oklahoma City as a free agent, and signed with the Golden State Warriors. A Golden State Warriors team that not only won 73 games that year and came one game away from winning the NBA Finals, but in the Western Conference Finals that year, overcame a three games to one deficit against, hmm, I wonder what team. Hmm. Oh yeah, Kevin Durant's Oklahoma City Thunder. And he was so quick to jump off the OKC bandwagon and run 
to Golden State as soon as Draymond Green was crying to him in the parking lot after Game 7 of the Finals. He was so quick to run to the Hamptons for a meeting with Steve Kerr, with Curry, Thompson, uh, Draymond Green, Iguodala, and the rest of the crew to talk about, oh, how are we going to pull this off? And then after three years, after finally becoming a champion, you thought, oh, even though he's injured, he's going to go about his own way. He chose the destination that most people don't choose, that being the Brooklyn Nets. And that's, that's what made last Thursday so hard to stomach because it happened three years to the day of him announcing his intentions to join the Brooklyn Nets via signing trade. We knew we were going to be without him for a year because he was coming off the torn right Achilles. We were like, finally, finally a star wants to be here. This isn't like, oh, Jason Kidd getting traded here and just staying because it was the place he could get the most money. No, Kevin Durant wanted to sign here, albeit, as we'd come to find out, he was following Kyrie Irving's wishes. He was following what Kyrie Irving wanted him to do. But Kevin Durant wanted to be a Brooklyn net. And from there, it was a very interesting saga. We didn't see him until the beginning of the shortened 2020-2021 season where he ironically made his debut against the Warriors. Then you had the Kyrie Irving drama on January 6th, forcing the Nets' hand eight days later to complete a four-team trade to acquire James Harden. A month later, he comes down with a strained hamstring, misses 23 games. And the Nets were thanking the Lords that they had gotten James Harden, who was, even though he was a bit out of shape, was still playing at an MVP caliber lever. You, you had that... War of words on social media, which was kind of embarrassing by his part, that he got into with actor um, and entrepreneur Michael Rappaport. And then came a postseason that was filled with so much promise at the beginning, but left you brokenhearted at the end. They quickly eliminated the Celtics in five games before battling the Bucks to a seventh game that who knows what would have happened if Kyrie Irving and James Harden were not injured in that series. If James Harden didn't roll his ankle in the first quarter of uh, game one, or should I say strain his hamstring in the first quarter of game one. And then Kyrie rolling his ankle in the third quarter of game four. The fact that Durant was out there with a bunch of extras Joe Harris doing nothing, James Harden on one leg, and still somehow came within a toe's length of dragging that team, kicking and screaming to the Eastern Conference Finals. Left you heartbroken, but let you thinking, all right, let's get the crew healthy, and we're favorites for next year. Then you were happy 11 months ago when Kevin Durant signed a four-year extension with one year left on his Nets contract, and you're like, wow, he's going to grow old as a Net. His best, his remaining best days are going to be as a Brooklyn Net. But then there was more drama this year. 
Kyrie refusing to take the vaccine. You know, once again, his choice, his prerogative to do what he wanted. But it led to all of the James Harden drama and James forcing his way out to a point where Durant got injured in the middle of January. The team went 5-16 and 16 without him, including an 11-game losing streak, and had to just barely get sneak into the play-in tournament. A team that was favored to come out of the East preseason had to sneak into the play-in tournament and were the only team to be swept out of the NBA postseason this year. And then there was last Thursday where Kevin Durant has now requested a trade from the Brooklyn Nets. And this is all because the Nets, rightfully so, will not cater to Kyrie Irving's contract demands. Kyrie Irving wants the full max. The Nets want to go pay him the max per year, but only go on a two or three year deal because as we know, Kyrie Irving cannot be trusted. Kyrie Irving will do Kyrie Irving-like things and be a headache for this franchise all the time, anytime. And Durant just seems too loyal to that. Too loyal to a guy that in the last three years, out of a possible 226 games, they've only taken the court together 44 times in the regular season. If you just count the regular season alone. And in those regular seasons, Durant himself, because of injuries, has and maintenance days, has only played in 90 of those 226 regular season games that he could have possibly played for with the Brooklyn Nets. Now, the Nets are under no prerogative to cater to Kevin's demands because, like I said before, he signed a four-year contract with them. He's locked in through the, what, the 2026-2027 season, something like that, or 2025-2026, somewhere along that lines. It's not like the Nets only have him for one more year under contract like they do with Kyrie Irving and you risk losing him for nothing. So, but as we know in this league, it's a star-driven league. The stars have called the shots for a while now. The star players have made this an uncomfortable, unbearable situation so much so that I'm telling you right now, when that next CBA comes up, fans, get ready. There's going to be a rather lengthy lockout because the owners are not putting up with this shit anymore. They're not putting up with what James Harden did to force his way out of Houston where he got intentionally fat and was showing up on his own private planes uh, to games or going partying afterwards and not flying back with the team. They're not putting up with Kyrie Irving every other day, finding a new cause and a new reason why he can't play the game. And, you know, who knows? We could wake up tomorrow and Kyrie Irving decides he wants to retire and and uh, 
become one of the great philosophers of all time. They're not going to put up with what Ben Simmons did to force his way out of Philadelphia and why he's never not played for the Brooklyn Nets yet. yet. And trust me, I take mental health, mental illnesses, all of that very seriously. But at the same time, with all due respect, it's come across as Ben Simmons using it as a bit of a crutch just to get what he wants. And then you've got what Kevin Durant is trying to pull here. And how ironic is it that, oh, six years ago, Kevin Durant leaves the Thunder as a free agent and joins the Golden State Warriors. Now he wants out of Brooklyn and his preferred destinations, which the Nets are not obligated to send him to, are the Phoenix Suns and the Miami Heat. The two teams who just so happened to have the best record in their respective conferences this past season. You've heard other possibilities thrown in there. The Toronto Raptors. The New Orleans Pelicans. Hell, Damian Lillard is begging for him to come to the Portland Trailblazers. I've even heard people bring up the idea of one of the L.A. teams. And in the last 48 hours, you've heard gain steam about the idea of a reunion with the Golden State Warriors. But this is not something that's going to happen quick because the Nets want to get a record haul. They want to get a deal that puts them in position where they're not tanking because you look at all the draft picks they lost in the James Harden trade to get them from Houston. This year's pick the 2024 pick, the 2026 first-round pick, and the right to first-round swaps in both 2023, 2025, as well as 2027. So they've given up a lot of draft capital and want to make some of that back. And they've seen some of the trades that have gone down in the last couple of days. I'm like, if that guy is getting that franchise that you know, such as what Rudy Gobert got the uh, Utah Jazz getting you know, a bunch of spare parts, but four first-round draft picks, we could definitely get more for Durant. So they should sit around. They should wait for the best deal, not just cater to what KD wants, because he, ha- he does not have a no-trade clause. And the problem here is you know, that there are teams with draft capital but they don't have the young all-star level players that could suffice the Nets because they're under rookie max deals, just like Ben Simmons. And you're not allowed to trade for two of those types of deals. So you're not allowed to trade for the likes of a Devin Booker or a Donovan Mitchell or Zion Williamson or Joel Embiid while Ben Simmons is still on your roster. You'd have to figure out a way to move Ben Simmons as well, and I don't think there's any takers there. It's just, quite frankly, it's a an aggravating, frustrating situation to witness as a net fan. You know, three years ago I said there was no guarantees here. There were, but it, it put the Nets in great position for others to want to come play for the Nets. The fact that for the first time, a great player wants to be 
a Brooklyn Ned. And now a guy who's coming across as possibly the biggest hypocrite in the sport wants out. And I say hypocrite because he ripped LeBron James once upon a time. But LeBron, unlike Kevin Durant, has fulfilled his commitment everywhere he's been. LeBron has not only won a championship everywhere, but he's also finished out every one of his contracts. He's never demanded a trade. Now Kevin, for the second time, as soon as things go bad, or you could say the third time if you want to include uh, OKC in the mix there, he wants out. He wants to move on thinking that the grass is greener on the other side. And I'm so aggravated. I'm so disgusted by him. But there's a good chance. There's a 50-50 chance he could still be a Brooklyn Net next year. Because to me, if a trade is not done this month, when the hell are you going to get something done at, to move him? You're not going to wait all the way until training camp. No one's, no one's going to do that. No one's going to wait that long. So at some point, either you hope cooler heads prevail or you could pull off a trade here. But the problem is there's only one team that could suffice the Nets' wish list. And that's his former team, the Golden State Warriors. And I have a hard time believing that the Warriors would give up the likes of Wiseman, Kuminga, Jordan Poole, and that many draft assets. When, yeah, they're in a built-to-win-now mode. But at the same time, Steph's not getting any younger. Clay's not getting any younger. Draymond Green, sure, is not getting any younger. And those young guys, along with Andrew Wiggins, have them set up to maybe not continue being a dynasty, but still being in the conversation for years to come, even when they fall out of their prime. You get Kevin Durant back, yeah, you've got a window to win the next you know, two, three titles. But after that, that window closes a lot quicker than you thought. So remains to be seen if that's a real possibility. But no matter what, you're not getting true equal value. None of these guys or none of these draft picks, unless you know someone comes along that we're not even talking about yet, is going to replicate what you get out of Kevin Durant on a night in, night out basis. All right, a lot more I want to get to for the, over the next about 45 minutes or so here. Of course, I'll get to Kyrie Irving at some point as well because you know, he you know, aggravated the hell out of me uh, this past week and there's rumors surrounding him. Get to some more thoughts on NBA free agency so far, uh, mixing some football, as well as some Mets news, uh, some you know promising but potentially disturbing news uh, from over the weekend as well. So a lot to get to for the next about 45 minutes or so here. So please, set back, relax, help put your feet up on the table if you feel like it, and continue keeping it at sports with M3. I'll be back. Can 
Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see, at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Welcome back to Keeping It Sports with M3 on this Tuesday afternoon down here in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Even with all the craziness that's going on with Kevin Durant's trade request and any of the other nonsense going on right now with the Brooklyn Nets, there is you know other stuff to look at in this NBA offseason. So far, it's still early. The, now, the... You're seeing a lot of you know, star players making decisions. And most of the big moves that have been made so far, or you know, medium rare moves as I like to call them, have been about trades. And you're seeing an arms race taking place in the Eastern Conference. You know, take, for example, the Atlanta Hawks, who had a rather disappointing season this year. Still managed to find a way into the postseason, but did not take that next step you would have expected out of them after the previous year reaching the Eastern Conference Finals. After a year where you know they went from the fifth seed, taking down the Knicks, upending the 76ers, and then at least poising somewhat of a threat to the eventual conference and NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks. You would have figured, oh, this Hawks team is on their way. Problem is they brought back the same group. They brought they didn't make any significant changes, thought that they could just roll the same team out there, and it really did not do them much help. Plus teams started to attack uh you know Trey right at half court. We're not letting him get open shots uh, from the perimeter. We're not letting him bring the ball up as easy as he he was the previous year. So they needed to, you know, go get someone that could help him sometimes, you know, take the ball out of his hands. And what they did was make a very wise investment in trading three first future first-round draft picks, as well as the expiring contract of Danilo Garinari to the San Antonio Spurs, who were clearly and should be in a rebuild mode after missing the postseason the last three years, to get DeJounte Murray. Now, 
DeJounte Murray, we've seen him grow as uh, the years have gone on. And believe it or not, he's still, he's still only 25 years old. He's still relatively young in his career and is signed to a reasonable deal for the next two years for 25 years old and only making $17.7 million in each of the next two seasons. And that's coming off of a career high in points, assists, and rebounds, being an all-star for the first time in his career. Now you add a bigger body there at guard who can also play the point guard position, maybe take some of the wear and some of the trouble of bringing the the ball up all the time that Trey Young had because remember Trey Young due to the fact that Russell Westbrook sat out the final three games of the season Trey Young passed him for the turnovers lead in uh, the NBA and Murray is a little more uh, fundamentally sound a little more protective with uh, the basketball so this is a good move for them as far as positioning themselves for now and potentially for the future because they they'll have the rights to extend him after next year and gives them another scorer who just is getting better. Now, if you're looking at the favorites coming out of the East right now, of course, you're talking about the Celtics, you're talking about the Bucks, the Miami Heat, Maybe you want to put the Sixers in that category, though remains to be seen whatever with whatever happens to James Harden. But there's, there's clearly an arms race going with the Celtics and the Bucks after they played a grueling seven-game series in the Eastern Conference Finals. They're not just resting on their laurels from last year. Now, the Celtics, it's a, it's a bit of a risk and going and getting Malcolm Brogdon because of the fact that he's not been healthy the last couple of years. You look at the last three years, he's only played 54, 56, and last year, 36 games due to Achilles' pain. But he comes to the Boston Celtics, who are already set at the guard position. He's going to be coming off the bench, and durability... Well, it's been a weakness for him over his career. Now, they're not going to have to rely on this guy to try and go out there and play 35 minutes a night for him. Or, as I was looking at some of the numbers over the last couple of days, he's never played you know, over the 2,000-minute mark in any given season of his career. <laughs> Something that you know most... Stars or all-star level guards are capable of doing. But this is a guy, you know, he's three years removed from being a 50-40-90 guy with the Milwaukee Bucks. He's still relatively young. And while you are paying him a hefty sum of over $22 million each of the next three years, we've seen it's becoming expensive to sign others in the this sport these days. And if you want to add depth on that bench, add that extra guard, it's going to cost you something. Now, they gave up a lot of players here. You know, the most notable to me is Daniel Thice. And um that takes away from a bit of their size inside, although 
wouldn't surprise me if somehow, some way, that guy wound up back on the Boston Celtics at the trade deadline because the Pacers are a rebuilding team and he's already been traded from the Celtics once and made his way back there. So really wouldn't uh, surprise me. To me, this is a counter to what the Milwaukee Bucks have done this uh, offseason. Also taking a bit of a risk with a guy with injuries, but adding Joe Ingles to their bench. Now, the, Joe Ingles, who, for a guy who's 6'8", has been remarkable as one of the better three-point shooters in, in the league the last several years. Averaging for his career over 40% from behind the three-point arc. Yes, he tore his ACL last year, and he's going to be 35 going into next season. But it's going to be a good pick-me-up for them during the season. You know, you get him back by, say, late January, early February. It's like making a trade at the deadline, and you hope that he'll have his feet completely under him and be fully ready and roaring to go by the time you get to the postseason. And the Bucks, you know, the, you know they, they were able to retain Pat Connaughton, retain Wes Matthews, keep Serge Ibaka, which to me was very important. Even though he didn't play much down the stretch, there's got to be some concern there with the injuries that Brooke Lopez has had over his career. Mostly it's been with his foot, but now the big man had back problems last year. And as much as I love Brooke Lopez, will always have a special place in my heart. You've got to prepare for the what-ifs with him because he's not you know, a bulky guy, but so tall and dealing with foot and back injuries, you worry about those rearing their ugly heads once again at some point. To, and also, to, to me, the, 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 the most important thing that they, they did was not just retaining but finally rewarding Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis, who had been grossly underpaid, was paid like $3 million each of the the last uh, couple of years. Locked him up to a four-year, uh, $49 million contract extension. For a guy that is 6'10", as you stretch forward, to also be a 41% three-point shooter, now it's going to free things up for Brooke Lopez to not be behind the arc so much, be a presence in the paint like he was with uh, the Brooklyn Nets. So, you know, the, the Bucks and the, the Celtics are going tit for tat here because they know they've got wide open windows with their young stars. And the, the Bucks, in their mind, believe they would have been back in the finals if Milton was healthy this past year. Can't be proven, but, you know, they. They truly believe that. And while they have this window with Giannis, with Middleton still in his prime, they want to take full advantage of it. As do the Celtics with Tatum and Brown just entering their primes. And the fact that you've got other challenges to deal with in the East, not just prepare for each other, but you've seen what the Hawks did in getting Murray. Uh, The Miami Heat, well, they haven't made any significant changes this offseason, they're still a team to be reckoned with. I mean, they, they are going to have to figure out a, a way to replace a, a defense, what was a defensive presence on their team, losing P.J. Tucker to the 76ers, who 
was not just durable, but also became a better three-point shooter in his own right as uh, the years uh, went on. He not only leaves you, but joins somebody that you're going to be competing with in the Eastern Conference in the Philadelphia 76ers. Now the Sixers, you know, look to add another uh, scoring guard possibly while they figure out the James Harden contract, which, no, I shouldn't give him credit, but bravo James Harden for developing a brain and realizing that you do not deserve a max extension. He's going to somehow negotiate a lower deal with them more team-friendly. So, yeah, instead of signing for... Oh, 45 to 50 million dollars a year, you're going to still try to get what 25 to 30 million dollars a year. To me, that would really be team friendly and realizing your worth after the way that you've intentionally let yourself get out of shape the last couple of years. Speaking of trades, the Jazz continue the, what is a surprising rebuild on their part. To me, it's only a matter of time before they move on from Donovan Mitchell or he tries to force his way out of there because they traded Rudy Gobert last week. And you got Walker Kessler, who was a first-round pick by the Timberwolves, along with a lot of good you know, role-player pieces like Patrick Beverly and Malik Beasley. The important part here for the Jazz is getting the three first-round picks, which are going to be all unprotected. But you you wonder, with this trade, does it now push those picks out of the lottery? Because this trade, getting Gobert on the Timberwolves, now you put him at the center position, take Cat out of there, he maybe a little less wear and tear, not having to bang around so much in the paint, can be... Um, more concentrating on his shooting and shooting from the outside. And you you put a a big man in there who's not necessarily uh, the best scorer in the world, but one of the best defensive big men in the league, a defensive player of the year candidate year in, year out, and improve your defense that way in what you hope is a year that you can actually make the postseason rather than uh, having to settle for battling the play-in scenario. We've also seen a lot of guys sign their Supermax extensions. You know, Nikola Jokic getting uh, five years, 264 from the, the Nuggets. And, you know, he's been the MVP each of the last two years. It's well-deserved. If you're a Nuggets fan, you just hope that next year you have a fully healthy Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray, especially Murray, who missed all of last year after the torn ACL. The Suns giving an extension to Devin Booker. No problem there. I mean, they've increased win total each of the last two seasons, three seasons, excuse me, and he's averaged 26 a game the last four years. Even a... Tw- only 26 years old, is emerging into one of the top players in this sport and has not shown any signs of wanting to force his way out of there because he sees that the team is willing to build around him, although we'll see what happens with the DeAndre Aiden situation. The one that I was surprised that the team was so quick to do was what's going on with Zion Williamson and the Pelicans 
eagerly giving him five years for $193 million that can be boosted up to to uh, 31 if during the deal he makes an all-NBA team or wins MVP or defensive player of uh, the year n- next year. Now, Zion Williamson, Zion Williamson's biggest enemy is his health. And his. And I don't want to seem like a fat shamer here because I don't think he's fat. I just think he has too much mass on that body. Now, if you're too fat, 284, excuse me, and you're the size of Shaquille O'Neal at 7'2", 7'3", that's one thing. But 284 at 6'6", built like a linebacker, and running up and down the court and dunking all game, that's too much for the human body. I don't care how old he is. He'll break down quicker than he hoped. And this is a guy that he missed all of last year due to a broken foot. Because he has too much mass on him. And every time you see these workout videos of him, he's too concentrated on dunking the basketball. He's too concentrated on you know, practicing his dunks rather than working on his jump shot, working on his post-up moves, his, his foul shots. We know what kind of incredible talent he is. We just want to see him expand on that because the Pelicans have a chance here depending on what they do as far as trades-wise, because they've been a team mentioned on the outside of lingering the in the Kevin Durant situation, although I don't think he'd want to go there. But with trading for C.J. McCollum at the trade deadline last year, even after getting off to what was a slow start for them, 1-12, they fought all the way back after that trade to get to the 10 seed, beat or get to the 9 seed, beat the 10 seed Spurs, won a second play-in game over the Clippers and got into the playoffs and pushed the, the, the top seed Phoenix Suns to a sixth game before bowing out. I mean, can you imagine if they had a, a healthy Zion Williamson? That would have been an incredible battle and incredible challenge. Hell, they probably won't, If they still made that trade and had a healthy Zion, they probably wouldn't have been... Uh, the ninth seed battling in. They probably would have been a top six seed, probably wouldn't have got off to the slowest start that they did. You have him healthy, along with the continued re- the continued emergence of a young star in Brandon Ingram, with CJ McCollum uh, locked up there. That's a pretty good team on paper, but he is the biggest key to the entire puzzle. I don't blame him for... For taking the money because of all the health problems, it could be over tomorrow. You know, nothing in sports or life is guaranteed. I was just surprised that the Pelicans were so quick to give them the max rather than let things play out or even possibly see if they could get major pieces for him in a possible trade because people still have a high opinion of Zion. We just see, got to see him make the court in order to prove that. All right, going to take another break here, come back on the other side and turn my attention to football where you know, things are going on in both the NCAA and the NFL. This is the last month we're going to be without football until next February. So get ready, people. Continue keeping it sports with M3. 
I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Welcome back to Keeping Sports with M3 on this Tuesday afternoon, the day after the 4th of July. Hope you all had a great, relaxing weekend. Remember, as always, tell your friends about where they can find this podcast via social media. The first place, of course, is the Facebook page, facebook.com slash keeping sports with M3. Place, you can go there, click the like button, probably get an alert every time I either go live or share the live feed uh, with that page amongst uh, the many pages on Facebook I share the live feed with. You can find the podcast link each and every single week. To, it'll either be available tonight or tomorrow I'll have for both Podbeam and uh, Spotify, as well as you can find those links on Twitter at M3 Rosansky, my personal Twitter account, and the Twitter account for the podcast at Keeping It Sports, as well as find me on Instagram, Keeping underscore it underscore Sports underscore with underscore M3. Now, before we talk about the NFL, big news in college football as the continued movement, the continued uh, shaping of conferences took place this past week. And while on the paper, on paper, excuse me, it is earth-shaking because you never thought you'd see these two teams leave this conference. Quite frankly, you can understand it. With USC and UCLA leaving the Pac-12 for the Big Ten. Now, people see that and like, oh my God, how could they do that? You know, they're, they're going to be now traveling so far because all of these Big Ten schools are in Central and Eastern time zones. And please, it's easier... When it comes to football, travel is easier these days than anywhere else. All these schools probably have a private jet that they can move uh, these players on, uh, less wear and tear. Plus, now, you know, you're facing better competition. You know, when it comes to your your schedule here, you can set things up so that you can 
play your out-of-conference games early on in the schedule, and then in, say, September, and then play all your conference home and away games as the year goes on, after you get outside of um, the month of September. This move now will really put the Big Ten in a, a better spot, a bigger spot than they were before, because now it increases them to 16 teams. And you know, on paper, the, the reasons why USC and UCLA would do this, you can't blame them for. That There's been such a big disparity recently as far as the revenue that they, they're making with the Pac-12 compared to the Big Ten teams. And they should be making more than any uh, Pac-12 teams. I mean, they're the linchpins of that conference. They're the team, they're the standard bearers. They're the teams that have been there forever. You know, they have the biggest history. Unlike the other 10 teams you look at in in that conference, they're the, the brands. They're the the top level. And they've seen, you look across this sport, um, as this decade goes on, both the Big Ten and the SEC, the two power conferences of the Power Five, the two that swing the needle and make the wool, the wheel spin in college football, they're going to be making double the amount of media rights revenue of these other three Power Five uh, conferences. Especially, a lot of it depends on the new deal that the Big Ten agrees to with both ESPN and Fox. But these schools could top over $100 million annually in media rights under uh, the Big Ten's uh, next deal with ESPN and Fox. And by making this move where they'll leave after the 2023 season, it's not going to cost them anything financially due to the fact that the uh, Pac-12's current TV deal expires after then. And let's face it, they don't have as good of a TV deal as both the Big Ten and the SEC do. No, no one does. Big Ten and SEC, those are games of the week. The, you know, the Big Ten, you know, they get that prime spot on Fox either in the late window on Saturday or on Saturday nights. SEC, they get that prime spot 3.30 in the afternoon every Saturday. You don't get that with these other conferences because those other conferences, they have maybe one team at the most to them. They have one, you know, with the ACC, they have Clemson. And that, for the most part, has been it. Every once in a while, someone else steps up. But Clemson has been the the top dog under Dabo Sweeney. You know, you don't get that with the the Pac-12, you're certainly not going to get that with the Big 12 after the move by Texas and Oklahoma uh, leaving for the SEC in two years. And this just continues what we've been talking about for a couple of years now, that college football's landscape is about to drastically change. College football, you're not going to see the end in a 
about five or six years, you're not going to see the NCAA exist anymore. And if it does, it's going to be schools because they have no other choice but to be part of it. These Power Five schools and Notre Dame are all looking toward a bigger picture, all looking toward this like four or five league super conference that in all likelihood they're going to force Notre Dame's hand in them no longer being an independent. And that will be how we determine a national champion um, from there on out. We'll have a bigger, grander playoff and that these conferences will no longer follow under NCAA rulings. The interesting part will be they break away from th- that. What's going to happen with uh, the NIL deals, the name likeness imaging that these players now have? Those colleges form their own super conference, their own super league. Are they going to have stricter rules? Are they going to try and create some kind of cap there? And that's going to create a whole different worm of animal, uh, can of worms, excuse me, that we'll deal with at some point down the road. Now on to the NFL, where it's been the off-season of the wide receivers getting paid. It's been... An off-season where all of these top-notch star wide receivers are getting paid. You've seen every every single time we turn around, it seems that you're getting another one of these top-level wide receivers a a new deal. You've seen Tyreek Hill's deal of $30 million a year. Devontae Adams' deal with the Raiders. DeAndre Hopkins and, and a extension with the Cardinals, Cooper Cup extension with the Rams, A.J. Brown getting traded to the Eagles and getting a contract extension, Diggs' new deal with the Bills. These guys, you know, they can all thank Christian Kirk and his deal with uh, the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars in creating this wide receiver uh, extension frenzy. And we've seen a, a couple, there were, been a couple other guys waiting out there to get their new deals. The likes of Terry McLaurin, uh, Debo Samuel, uh, DK Metcalf. Especially McLaurin and Samuel, who, unlike Metcalf, they weren't first-round picks. These guys were second-rounders, guys that weren't given that fifth-year rookie option and have threatened potential holdouts. And in the case of Debo... They've even threatened a trade. Well, Terry McLaurin finally got paid last week. He's got a three-year, $71 million extension with $28 million on a signing bonus, the largest ever given to a wide receiver. And he's a great story because he's not not one of these big Adonises. He's six feet tall, came out... uh, of uh, college as a third-round draft pick, 76th overall. And each year, you've seen incremental improvement on him and incremental usage as well. 58 catches his first year, almost had 1,000 yards. And then each of the last two years has been 
at or above uh, 80 catches for over 1,000 yards and is a piece that the commanders now want to help build around because defensively, we know how stout they can be. You know, you get Chase Young back healthy this year. Defensively, they should be pretty good. That is if uh, Jack Del Rio can learn how to coach a defense if he's even still there by the time uh, the season starts. But offensively, they're lo- looking to uh, build there. They, you know, they, they can have as much defensive pieces as they want. You still got to put points on the board. You still got to be able to score. And that's uh, what Ron uh, Rivera is probably taking a deep sigh of relief knowing that he's got his best wide receiver locked in now. Now you're going to start hearing a lot more about Debo Samuel, who has been very loud, very uh, open about his determination to get a new deal done. And, and especially after last year where he exploded upon the scene as a prominent piece of that offense. A lot of it due to him becoming a dual threat player as both a receiver and a running back. Something that he does not want to do again. That I understand him not wanting to do it because as a running back, you take years off your career. You Usually... By the time you reach 30, you know, 31, you're pretty much done. And that can hurt from potential future income. Can hurt from, you know, you're already seeing some of these running backs in the league like Zeke, you know, seeing their steady decline and he's barely even 30 years old yet. I don't, I don't even think he's he's touched uh 30 yet and Debo doesn't want to go that same route even though it added a whole new element to their offense and the team took off and was a playoff team came very close to even possibly reaching the Super Bowl last year uh, running their offense like that it's a wear and tear he does not want to do again the problem here's the problem that they're in in order to pay him that money you in all likelihood have to trade Jimmy Garoppolo who is making, what, $26 million uh, this coming season. But Jimmy Garoppolo's coming off of an off-season surgery. He hasn't even, as far as I know, thrown a football yet. And at this point in the off-season, you typically do not see trades made as far as starting quarterbacks. Plus, There's been very mixed reports on what they have uh, with uh, their young quarterback in Trey Lance. Some say he's looked great. Some say he's shown improvement. Some have said he's not ready to go. And I think in their minds, they still might feel, as much as they want Trey Lance to be the future, that right now Jimmy Garoppolo gives them the best chance to win. Now, that the... The one opportunity they may have to trade him is when the Cleveland Browns, in all likelihood, lose Deshaun Watson for the season. And I do think it's going to be for the season. At the very minimum, it's going to be an indefinite suspension, and they'll deter, uh, just 
keep that rolling through the year. You won't see him play for the Cleveland Browns uh, this year. But the Browns are in their own predicament where they've been unable to trade Baker Mayfield. And, you know, with how they don't seem willing to uh, reconcile things with him, how he's already essentially said his goodbyes there, I don't understand why they keep kicking their feet th- through this. It, there, there's teams that could definitely use Baker Mayfield. It, is he the greatest quarterback in the world? No. But he's better than anything that Seattle could potentially run out there right now with either Drew Locke or Geno Smith. I don't care how much the locker room believes in Geno. He's better than anything you're running out there in Carolina right now. Sorry, Sam Darnold. Hell, he's he's probably better than Daniel Jones. Hell, he's definitely better than Jan- Daniel Jones. He's reached the playoffs uh, and won games and you know, fought through injuries. Daniel Jones has been very brittle. And I know the Giants need to see something out of Daniel Jones this year before making a decision, but they'd be better off and in, in, in a better chance to potos- potentially compete for a playoff spot with Baker Mayfield as their quarterback rather than Daniel Jones. So I understand a team not wanting to take that $18 million onto its salary cap, especially this late in the offseason. But I figured that there would be more of a market for Baker Mayfield. Is he the greatest quarterback in the world? No. But he could sure do a lot worse. He's a good quarterback who... I think got a little bit too full of himself there in Cleveland and in a different situation where it's not as much of a train wreck or or ready to run off the tracks um, with the front office and coaching staff, he can have success. He can win you games. Win you a Super Bowl? Not likely. Win you games and have you competing for a playoff spot? You could do a lot worse than him and I think he can certainly help a middle-of-the-pack to lower-tier team that isn't truly locked in and fully invested in their quarterback right now. Got to take one more break here, come back on the other side, and close things out with some thoughts on both Kyrie Irving as well as Jacob DeGrom. Continue keeping it sports with them 3 I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO.
Welcome back to Keeping It Sports with M3. Only a few more minutes left here, but wanted to talk about Jacob DeGrom, who has been rehabbing from his injury from spring training, but there had really been no updates on him as of recently. But suddenly, as I was leaving work on Saturday, I see that Jacob DeGrom would be making his first rehab start for the Mets. I'm thinking, oh, good for him. You know, the Mets, you know, need to get some starters back in that rotation. They're getting Max Scherzer back tonight. Who knows what's going to happen with McGill. In all likelihood, he'll be a reliever when he comes back. But they were starting to leak a little bit of water with the fact that the Braves caught fire and are now within three and a half games of them in the division. So getting the Grom back could be a boost for that team. And, you know, it's hard to take anything away from a rehab start because you're just hoping that the guy makes it out of it okay, feeling good the next day. No, on the surface, it's only an inning and a third, but he struck out five batters, uh, hit one batter, 18 of his 24 pitches were for strikes. The problem I have is, you know, Jake, can you calm the hell down? Can you, you know, instead of coming out and guns are blazing, going 100 miles an hour, can you just kind of tame it down and just get your work in? I can understand adrenaline. I can understand the fact that outside of your spring training start back on March 22nd, you haven't pitched in a year. But there's a reason why you haven't pitched in a year outside of that one spring training start. And that's because you have been your own worst enemy in the last, oh, about 15 months here. Because he got off to a great start of the 2021 season, but then fell victim to three separate IL stints before finally going on the IL in the first week of July. And then we never saw him again. We never saw him throw another pitch for the Mets. And that placed some fear in the front office, um, certainly into Steve Cohen. And that's why they went out there and invested the big bucks in getting Max Scherzer so that just in case another injury flared up, they have an ace pitcher um, for the front of that rotation. But Jacob DeGrom, for the last 15 months, every time he takes the mound, it's immediately 100-mile-an-hour fastball, 93-mile-an-hour slider. I mean, you can take something off. You don't have to just try to break the radar gun every pitch. I mean, his first three pitches on Sunday were at or over 100 miles an hour. Like, what are you trying to prove? Just get your work in. Be healthy. The All of these things, this wear and tear that you've been through through the last year. Remember, you're not 23 years old anymore. You're the same age as me. You're, 20, you're 33, about to be 34. And you're, you know... Going out there pitching like a reliever in a starter's pitcher role. How did that work out for you last year? Now, let's face it, if he has one more setback, he has one more injury like this, he's probably done for the year. They're, the Mets are running out of time where they can keep resetting the clock on his uh, season. I'll tell you what this also should have done. 
should have humbled him up a little bit and, and not be thinking of this idea that, oh, I'm going to opt out of my contract at the end of the year. Because you're out of your mind if you're getting, you think you're getting the deal that Max Scherzer got. As talented as he is, he's one of the most amazing talents in the sport when he's on the field. He has not thrown a full season of baseball since 2019. Between the pandemic, shortened season of 2020, and then the injuries he's dealt with for the last two years. He has not made more than 15 starts in a season and now almost three years. And he thinks he's going to get the same kind of deal as Max Scherzer. I mean, I hope these last couple months have wised him up a bit and realized that, hmm, you know, nothing is guaranteed. Maybe I should not be opting out of my contract. But as a Met fan, you should be hoping that he is 100% healthy, ready to go by the time you come back from the the All-Star break. And you have him back, you have Scherzer back, and those guys are healthy. Then, then that's one less thing you have to look at at the trade deadline. Because there's going to be a lot of teams looking at starting pitching. Teams that are looking at all these options out there, the Luis Castillos of the world, and we'll see what happens with Frankie Matas, who got pulled from his start after one inning on Sunday due to shoulder stiffness. If he's out, that just puts the price upward on you know guys like Castillo, Kyle Hendricks, uh, anybody else that could potentially that be available at the treadmill line. You're going to have teams looking for starting pitching. The Blue Jays are going to be looking for a starter. The Red Sox may be looking for a starter depending on what happens with Sale, although they might also want to look for a closer because if they got to play the Blue Jays in the postseason up in Toronto, it doesn't sound like this whole vaccine uh, mandate is going to be changing up there anytime soon. So they could be without their closer, Taylor Houck, and, uh, because of his vaccination status. And now that, that's just tough luck for you. I've seen people complain over the last couple of days saying, oh, they should make their Blue J- the Blue Jays play all their home games in the U.S. And, and, until uh, the mandates are up. But hey, they call it home field advantage for a reason. If they can have that kind of advantage over one of their playoff rivals, one of their division rivals, so be it. Tough luck. You got to deal with that. But if you're the Mets and you can have starting pitching not be on that checklist, you can just be looking for another arm in the bullpen, maybe a bat if you're not willing to bring this kid Alvarez up from uh, the minor leagues, then it, it makes things a lot simpler for Biller, Billy Epler and company at the trade deadline. Now, one last thing I want to get to. There was an interesting tweet put out by Jeannie Buss on Sunday night. Monday morning our time, but Sunday night West Coast time at 11.11, weirdly. She wrote, quote, I miss KB. He would understand and explain everything that I'm not allowed to. Honestly, he was the greatest Laker ever. He understood team over self. 
meaning your rewards would come if you valued team goals over your own, then everything would fall into place. All can reply. Of course, by KB, she is talking about the late, great Kobe Bryant. And that organization, while they've won a championship since then, is still emotionally reeling over the loss of one of their great icons way too early, who, you know, to this day, he still would have played a role in that franchise if he were alive. Maybe not a pivotal role, but definitely in an advisor role. And would have been a help to, say, Russell Westbrook getting through the nonsense he had to deal with last year. Some brought on him, some uh, um, unfair at times. As well as would have been a potential mentor to Kyrie Irving if he gets his way and gets a trade to the Los Angeles Lakers. Who, you know, Kyrie pissed me off last week, even before uh, the Kevin Durant stuff. When he announced that he was going to be picking up his player option for next season. He did it in the most Kyrie Irving of fashions by his group putting out a quote to uh, Shams uh, Sharnini. And it wrote, Normal people keep the world going, but those who dare to be different lead us into tomorrow. I've made my decision to opt in. See you in the fall. A11 even. That's his Twitter handle. Like, why does he, every time he does something, he, even when it's the right thing to do, when it's the thing he should do, he has to come off sounding like an ass. Like when Harden was here and he said during a post-game press conference, I told him on the court, you be the point guard, I'll be the shooting guard. I mean, everything he does, it comes off as narcissistic. And now from everything you read, he wants to be a Los Angeles Laker next year. Even LeBron's rooting for it. So shows you how one year and one bad season by Russell Westbrook has LeBron off the Westbrook bandwagon. This is the same guy that he had a meeting with at his house and chose tr- the Lakers trading for him, forced the hand of the Lakers front office rather than um, keeping uh, Kyle Kuzma or keeping Alex Caruso and trading uh, or signing for DeMar DeRozan. And look how that turned out. It was a, a disaster. But now you're seeing a talk of a potential trade between Kyrie Irving from the Nets to the Lakers and Westbrook from the Lakers to the Nets. And there would be a lot more pieces part of it. It wouldn't just be those two. The Nets would want a a dra- at least one draft pick back. They want to attach Joe Harris's contract after he missed uh, 68 games last year due to two ankle surgeries and get the remaining $38 million he has on the books off. And because of that, the Lakers prefer that they instead add Seth Curry. So I don't think any movement's going to be happening there anytime soon. But I think Jeannie Buss, I don't think the the comments were a shot at LeBron that she made on Twitter. Or or maybe Magic could be look at that as potentially a shot because she said that Kobe was the greatest Laker ever and to me, Magic Johnson was the best Laker ever, and I was surprised that she would say someone over Magic, considering 
Those two essentially grew up together. She was coming out of high school as Magic was getting drafted. They, they've always said they have like a brother-sister relationship there. But she talked about in that quote, understanding team over self. And that's a message toward potentially dra- trading for Kyrie Irving. Because Kyrie Irving hasn't been much of a team player the last couple of years. Despite whatever you want to say, if you support what he's done, how he's handled things after January 6th, or handled the, the vaccine mandates, whatever your stance is, there's no way that you can say that he's put the, the betterment of his teammates over the betterment of himself. And Jeannie Buss was saying that Kobe would understand that. Kobe would help the locker room culture understand that and probably put Kyrie in his place, kind of a tease. And Kyrie would listen because Kobe was his idol. Kobe was a mentor to him uh, early in his career as Kobe was starting to uh, end his and uh, head into retirement. But, no. Reading all this stuff, hearing all this stuff the last couple of days just continues to add to my frustration. My frustration as a net fan because, as I said a couple of years ago, nothing was ever guaranteed here, but it put us in a, a better position. We sold our soul to this clown, Kyrie Irving, who supposedly grew up a, a New Jersey Nets fan, but wanted to do everything on his terms when he's never been truly a guy that's earned that right. He was under his best behavior when he was LeBron's teammate, eventually forced his way out of there. Went to the Celtics, and let's face it, they had more success without him than they did with him. They came within a game of going to the NBA Finals in the the year where he missed the postseason due to injury, and then the following year got knocked out in five games by the Milwaukee Bucks, including losing four in a row in that series. And now how he's handled things with the Brooklyn Nets. The fact that over these three years, he has missed more games than he has played. And this is a guy that still thinks he deserves a fully guaranteed max contract. It's we sold our soul to the devil here just to get Kevin Durant. And now it's just frustrating to see it all falling apart. And who knows? They could both, I said early, they could both still be here on opening day because the Nets are under no obligation to trade Kevin Durant. But at the same time, you know that at any given moment, it could all just come crashing down and fall apart on us. And that, my friends, was Keeping It Sports with Evan Thrift for Tuesday, July 5th, 2022. Everyone, please have a great night, great rest of your week. I'll talk to you guys again same time at the normal time next Monday. Until then, stay safe, everyone. Peace. to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you.
Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.